This is Gil Manser welcoming you to our 2014 Holiday Gift Books edition of Word by Word Conversation with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Once again, I am pleased to welcome the book buyers from the local Copperfields bookstores, Cheryl Cotler and Michelle Bella, about, with their challenging task of choosing which books to talk about when they only have an hour to do it. We are doubly pleased this year because Cheryl served as one of the judges for the 2014 National Book Award for Fiction, and she will give us an insider's peek at that process in the panel's final selection, Philip Clay's novel, Redeployment. Clay is a former Marine who served in Iraq, and as Dexter Filkins commented in the New York Times, redeployment is hilarious, biting, whipsawing, and sad. It is the best thing written so far on what the war did to people's souls. In addition to fiction, we hear selective ideas for exceptional coffee table books, nonfiction books, biographies, resource books, cookbooks, how-to-do-it books, as well as books for young adults and children. As I already said, it's a lot of ground to cover, so let's get started. Cheryl Cotler and Michelle Bella, I want to thank you for joining us once again on Word by Word and for taking the time to carefully pick and choose from among the thousands of books that are available. You're welcome. So... Where can, you know, we're going to talk about these books, and I'm, I'm pleased to announce that everybody's going to be able to download a podcast, so I'll announce that at the end of the show, how they can get that. And you can also get a list at the copperfieldsbooks.com website. Yes. Good, which is great, because other years we've been asking people to write down notes at home. No, we're, we're uh, moved into a hipper age. We are. We are <laughs> online, and so you can, if you've got your notepad out already, just, you can make notes for yourself. So we have, let's talk about redeployment first. Well, you know, the process, I will tell you this, of being on the jury for the National Book Award for Fiction uh, was well, a... Let me, let me interrupt. There are seven jurors. No, five. Five jurors. Yes. And you are the only bookseller on the Yes. List. All the rest are novelists and writers. Writers and a critic. And one critic. Okay. Yes. Uh, and this is the only the second year in its 65-year history that they've put a chosen a bookseller for the jury. This will continue forward, though publishers love it and mm-hmm. the uh, public loves it, and it's been quite an honor and quite an experience. So did you get a phone call, email? Yes. Somebody phone knocking call. at the door with balloons? Well, that... you know, Publishers Clearinghouse didn't show up, but I uh, <laughs> got a phone call. And I do not know how I was nominated. I do have a lot of connections with editors and people in publishing, but I don't actually know the nomination process, and I prefer it that way. It was a wonderful surprise. But they warn you right in the beginning, the foundation, that you really have to give up several months, your summer and into the fall, Mm. if you commit to this. And they were absolutely right. I I had to give up a social life and just read. Yeah. Yeah. So how many things are under consideration originally? The publishers nominate their own books, and we had over 400. Wow. Wow. So in about five or six months to give them all a good go. Winnow that down. Yes. Did you work in groups or did you read or, and review all four? We worked and we each had assignments for the first run through, but we immediately started popcorning when we read something we loved and told somebody in our constant emails, wow, I, it's in my pile, but I love this. So we, we both had a pile and we popcorned around with other people's favorites. And then when we got further into it, then everybody read everything all the way to the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what about redeployment came and grabbed you? 
It was a difficult decision, really. The la- by the time we got to the last five, um, it was very difficult and hard to choose just one because everything uh, had something incredible going for it. I think in the end, exactly what Dexter Filkin said in his New York Times review is true. The book manages to have a bit of humor and capriciousness while it's also talking about war and devastation and the legacy of war to for people that come back and their families and the community. So it packs a very powerful punch in a series of related but not connected stories. But it does read like a novel. Mm-hmm. And, um, same I, it, characters go through the whole – Not in every story. It's not the same characters. But you feel like you're with the same group of people. And really, all of us were in tears by the time we finished it and also couldn't wait to tell each other our experiences. Hmm. So so war stories. War stories, but very contemporary. Some of are set in um, in like colleges and communities where the soldiers returned and gone back to school and how is he and his fellow classmates are relating. So it's it's not war stories where you're under siege all the time. So first on the list is Phil Clay's Redeployment, National Book Award winner this year for fiction. Now you have, Bella, a National Book Award for, is it Young it's, Adult? It's the Young Adult um, pick, and they don't separate it out, fiction and nonfiction. Right. So it's a huge pool of possible titles that they could pick, and they um, gave the award to Jacqueline Woodson, her book is called Brown Girl Dreaming, which mm-hmm. is a, a biography written in prose. And she was born in 1963, I believed, in the South, and it has a lot to do with now civil rights. you said rights. prose, but I thought it was poetry. Oh, it, it's not prose. You're right. Verse. It's verse. Verse. Okay. Verse. So Which it is reads a, yeah, like a like a long poem. Right. And it's it's really interesting, and it's not it's not it's not Harry Potter. A prose poem. Yeah, it's a it's. <laughs> we'll get through. Yeah, this. it's yes. an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting book. It's it's got its own market, you know, where people who teachers are really going to like it. It's going to be a way of understanding the world, th- that particular time in the world, and this particular author's message is really very soulful and very beautiful. She's a great writer. Mm, wonderful. So let's go. I have in front of me. I'm going to talk about this one first because it's right on the top. I have something that Bella handed me. It's called the Pocket Atlas of Remote Islands. So everybody's out there saying, yeah, yeah, a thousand and one things to see before you die. I said, no, 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 because she says, uh, Judith Shalansky says, 50 islands I have not visited and never will. And you won't either. No one visits it. <laughs> Hardly, <laughs> except through their book. Because almost impossible to get to. Uh, like Robinson Crusoe Island, you may have heard that. You may have heard of um, the one we were just talking, Pitcairn Island, which is where the uh, survivors from the mutiny of the bounty ended That's up. That's right, yeah. Um, Easter Island, of course. But I thought anybody could travel there. They have tours there, don't they? But they, they are just very remote. And yes. it's unlikely that you're going to get there. There's a long way to something else. And their list and the map is on the front and the back. So why did why this one? What, what jumped out about this to you? Well, if you... You can see in each individual one, it tells you what the population is. Mm-hmm. It tells shows you a map, of the a map of the island. And this where was, it is. A few years ago, they had the big atlas of remote islands. And this is your pocket version because you never know when you're going to need a map of very <laughs> remote places. So obviously this isn't for everybody, but it's a wonderful little gift. 
Right. The Carolan Islands of Micronesia, an island called Pingalap, which is basically one of those atolls, meaning that it's a volcano that's blown up. Mm-hmm. And this one, you know, sometimes they're in a complete circle, mm-hmm. but this one only has part of the outside I, I, I bet yeah. a lot of them are probably yeah you're gonna love this book love, just I like gil tell. does yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, I, i'm into i'm sorry we gotta go on <laughs> anyway it's it's bright orange pocket atlas of the remote islands by judith shalansky that's our third pick this time so we want to talk about whitman illuminated which is another visual book now this is walt whitman and yes. those of us who when we when they used to teach poetry in school and remember that or may have found Whitman on our own, will know the poems. But they will not have seen them in this delightful, um, what would I call it, graphic presentation. Yes. For instance, I open the page one, and it's showing a man holding a snapping turtle. And um, the poem is written around, you have to keep turning the page over and over and over to read it. And it's just fun, just fun to look at. And you liked it because it was fun. It's it's beautiful, actually. And beautiful the entire and book is the song of myself. Huh. And it is illustrated, in, as you said, in such a fashion that it looks almost like woodblock prints mm-hmm. with really wonderful graphics. And each page is a different color. And it's full all the way to the edge of the page. And also the jacket itself looks like a lithograph. And it's done in a linen cover with an etching of – looks like – an etching of Walt Whitman on mm-hmm, the cover. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of book that you would buy and have for yourself because it's the kind of poem you would read over and over, as well as something that is a marvelous gift. It's a beautiful size, and it just is the kind of thing you would look at more over and over again. It comes from Tin House Books. It's quite a different feel in your hand, too. Very tactile. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Wonderful. I was pleased to see the San Francisco Chronicle named it one of the 10 best poetry books of the year. Wonder. Yeah. yeah. And it was illustrated by Alan Crawford, we should mention that. Yes. Because the illustrations yes. are really fun. It, it really unique. is a work of art. Yes. Okay. What next? Well, should we talk about <laughs> gift books or fiction? Or? Uh, yeah, whatever. Well, okay. Let's talk about cookbooks. There are that, a yeah, bunch the, of every year. There are some beautiful cookbooks, and the one that I didn't bring with me because it weighs ten pounds is called Mexico, and it's seven hundred pages, more than seven hundred pages uh, of cook recipes about everything you could possibly want to know about Mexican style Latin cooking. I, you, you have to see the book and just hold it in your hands to really Now, is it broken it. up by the different geographical regions, or how did they do it? They did it in – I'm trying to remember. They got – it's definitely broken up in regions, but it's kind of like the joy of cooking for Latin food wow. is the way – it's a so reference. By, it's a huge reference. Whether it's an entree or appetizer. That or kind of that thing, kind of, right. and it's not – it's not a full of pictures. It's not a coffee table book. Even though it is a very lovely edition, it's not... It's a 10-pound cookbook. Well, it's what it feels like to me. <laughs> it's definitely exercise. Um, it's, it's so beautiful, and it's considered to be the best source right now of Mexican cooking that people will think it'll be that way forever. Yeah, I just thought it was all La Frontera. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, there's a variety. Yes. So um, another cookbook is 12 Recipes by... Um, Cal Petronel, and he's from Chez Panisse, mm. and it's actually, though, very simple cooking in a way. It tells you how to, to make— start with butter. 
<laughs> Always. <laughs> lots of butter. Yes. But like how to make um, eggs, how to cook eggs, how to, why you would cook a one-egg omelet as opposed to a three-egg omelet, that kind of thing. Because there's only one left in the box. No, no. His, his theory <laughs> is that you know he'd rather eat three one-egg omelets rather than one three-egg omelet just because of the way it tastes and what you can do with it. And it's it's very personal cooking. This right. is not a reference book. This is would be interesting to give to somebody who didn't know much about cooking and wanted to learn more in, uh, in a style. Mm-hmm. Then I brought you um, Malman on Fire because this – book is wonderful, very visual. This guy is from Patagonia. I guess he's lived around the world in various places, but he wants people to go outside and cook on live, on embers or on griddles or on open fires. And it's really is about grilling your food outside. Grilling, yeah. Yeah. And in a whole variety of ways. My boys tell me that I am not a, I do not barbecue, I grill. Grilling is excellent. I don't spend, you know, two days getting ready to cook it. I just cook it. Well, then you're going to love that cookbook. It's for you. Oh, fun. (laughs) This is developed. This is meats, birds. uh, How fun. But I can't, you know, I don't, I think of Patagonia as such an empty, spare, open space kind of place. Actually, if you read where he is, apparently, in the beginning, it talks about uh, looking over a vista. It sounds just like Northern California. It, really? They've got vineyards and olive groves and fields of things growing and wild country all together, which to me just sounds like right here. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's called uh, Francis Malman's On Fire 100 Recipes with Peter Kominsky. Beautiful book. It's uh, You can't miss it. It literally is on fire on the like cover. On yeah, it looks like a fire with the sparks going up to the sky. Okay. That's gorgeous. Now, we've got to talk about Richard Ford's book. Oh, let's. Um, oh, I love this book. Tell us the title. The title is Let Me Be Frank With You. And Richard Ford has revisited one of his most beloved characters, Frank Bascom. This book is actually four thoroughly related novellas. Frank is in all of them. It's just that he's in slightly different scenarios. You know, he's 60, 80s in his late 60s. He's a little curmudgeonly. He's made his mind up that he doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of years left to live, although he's perfectly healthy, our Frank. But he absolutely, because he's made his mind up with that uh, particular stance, decides he doesn't not want to suffer fools gladly or do too much of what he never wanted to do all along. And that gives it a kind of comic edge, while it also has this very heartfelt connection of him visiting a friend who's very old and ill and him visiting his ex-wife who is in an assisted living home. So in this particularly well-done Richard Ford way, the characters have heart and yet they're kind of humorous and um, just full of love and full of the the foibles of growing older. Anyway, uh, Richard Ford, we will have uh, was signed, just at the Petaluma was uh, just at the Petaluma yes. store, and we have a lot of signed copies of the book. And my goodness, it's wonderful, and really will work for a man or a woman as a gift. Wonderful. It's called. Richard Ford, let me be frank with you, and Frank is the Frank. Of yes, the, of yes, the I love the title. It's yes, a wonderful, wonderful pun. Now you had several books. You you sent me the list from the New York Times selection, and you had a couple 
uh, that you wanted to talk about Anthony Doerr's and Jenny Olfeld's books, as I recall. Am I right? Um, Anthony Doerr, for sure. Jenny, all the Light We Cannot See. Yeah, Jenny I don't have with okay, me. Okay, that's all but right. there's another one. Okay, let's yeah. do that. So the Anthony Doerr is, this is another book that was a finalist for the National Book Award for Fiction, one of the five finalists. Now, do they get to put a little sticker on say they yes. were finalists? Yes, yes, okay. that, that's a big deal I to get think. that yes. far, and um, it's wonderful. It's set, it's, it's, it's loosely based on some real facts, but set in this um, coastal part of France, the town of Saint-Malo, which is a very real place, which is old uh, medieval battlement walls that keep the town from being run over by the ocean. And a man who has a beloved daughter who's six or seven escapes Paris just ahead of the Nazi occupation and may or may not be someone who holds this precious jewel that the museum has. They send out replicas and none of the people actually know that are carrying the jewel who has the real jewel. Mm. The one of the things about the book is that the the uh, museum man builds for his daughter tiny replicas. He did it in Paris, and then he does it in Saint Malo of their neighborhood, so that she can run her hands over the uh, actual buildings because she's blind, and she learns how to walk around town because her father keeps taking her and having her count steps so that she can be independent. And so the story has to do with her struggle to get around while the Nazi occupation is happening, while this rare jewel is being hidden, and people that she loves are maybe being captured. It's not totally clear. And also, there's a young boy who is German who loves radios and is grabbed by the um, German army at, for the Nazi youth camps to be trained as a radio operator, but really what he cares about is radios, not about being a soldier. And these two young children are roughly about the same age, and yes, eventually they do meet. And it's really a story full of heart around people that are caught up in a terrible war that didn't choose to be there. Hmm. It's also beautifully written. Sounds delight- yes, really, really yes, interesting. Yes, it's great. Yeah, to look at. I'm wondering if the jewel is hidden in plain sight in one of the miniatures, though. I uh, you won't tell me, though. You won't tell me. This is just the way my mind works. Worth reading. Right. We are going to look at an entirely different kind of book here now because this was handed across to me earlier. And the, <laughs> the title is called Spineless Portraits of Marine Invertebrates, The Backbone of Life by Susan Middleton. And it is exactly that, page after page of absolutely astounding marine creatures set against black or white backgrounds. They are multicolored, multipodal, I don't know what you call it, (laughs) Uh, you know, little fingers sticking out of one end and and branches that look like a Christmas tree at the other, Um, you know, crustaceans, Um, what do you call somebody in a shell? Uh, uh, a, a little creature in the shell. Creature well, in the shell. <laughs> well, they have what, an exoskeleton uh, looks like, instead like of coral. A spine. Yes, that's right. I, all this kind of stuff, which I should know more about because my daughter's a marine scientist. But it is gorgeous. It, it really is really is. beautiful. And it, it's a big coffee table book. Heavy. Is, it's not a ten pounds, gift. though. No, no not no. quite ten pounds. Maybe three and a half. But it, and it, it isn't a reference on the the animals themselves. It's a visual delight. I would call it. 
she's a Bay Area author as well. Ah, yes, yes. she was recently at a uh, Sylvia Earle. No, no, is this the one. Oh, Susan this Milton. One. Yes. yes. She was also recently at Copperfield. She was. Do you yeah, have some probably, signs? I think we do have some sign left. Some signed uh, ones yes. left. Yeah. Not, okay. not, not a ton, but a couple. Okay. Well, hurry in. Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> you get to do that right away. The other thing that that got me this was, <laughs> for instance, there is a book called Pen and Ink: Tattoos, the Stories Behind Them. Now, when you sent this to me, all you sent was the cover mm-hmm. and then a little blurb about it. So I expected to see. Like the tattoo magazines where you have photographs of people and their tattoos. It's not. No. It's they different. are line drawings of the tattoos. And these and are interesting also because they're a wide variety of people. Some of them, you know, have tattoos all over their body. Some of them, it's that one tattoo they got after that drunk night. And it's like you, they can hardly believe what they did. But most of them have a very significant meaning. And Well, this lady has a gray-blue stripe down my spine just between the shoulder blades. And literally, it is... Yeah, a stripe right. of gray-blue. That's yeah. it, with the story, of course. It's it's very interesting and just kind of idiosyncratic. I'm sure not everybody wants to read about other people's tattoos, but it's... Well, no, because this one's got a Winnebago tattooed on her arm. <laughs> right. It's arm. a variety of stuff. It isn't, it isn't no, what you think I'm it sorry, is. I'm sorry. It is not a Winnebago. It's a Dodge Travco, 1972 pea green Dodge Travco. There you go. Very there you go. And obviously that has some history. Uh, yes. Every yes. tattoo has Every some tattoo. history. Yeah. So this is called Pen and Ink Tattoos by Isaac Fitzgerald and Wendy McNaughton, and it's really different. But it's yeah. not for necessarily the tattooed. It's just, it's just quirky and fun. And it also helps me to understand why – what, why all these kids are getting tattoos, my own children are getting tattoos, it, it obviously means different things to different people, but it, and it, it is Yeah, almost everyone I know who has a, not a lot of tattoos, but, you know, carefully placed ones, right. has them on for a specific reason. Yeah. 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 Some other books. Aha. I want to talk about this novel called <sighs> The Book of Strange New Things by Michelle Faber. And uh, what Gil can see uh, in the studio is the pages on this novel are gilded. The reason being – so here's the well, story. See, when I see that, I immediately go to three or four books that are on my shelf that were gilded. One is a Bible. Uh, one is a book of poetry. And one is an illustrated children's book. You got it the first time. Okay. The reference to the Bible. So there's a character in here who gets – uh, chosen to go on uh, uh, whatever they call it now, some kind of rocket, and he's transported along with a crew to uh, to a planet outside of our solar system and in another galaxy that has already a compound on it that a company in uh, on Earth is paying for. But the reason that he's chosen is is that the native people on this planet, and they just call it Oasis, ask for a Christian minister because they have fallen in love with a book. There used to be a Christian minister, and he gave them a book that is the Bible, but they call it the book of strange new things. And I want to tell all of our readers right off that this minister that goes to this uh, island – I'm sorry, um, planet – 
is a wonderful, well-intentioned minister. He believes in compassion and uh, kindness and generosity and living in community. So he's a Christian minister that has really a wonderful outlook on life, and he falls in love with the Native people, and they share Jesus stories from the Bible. In the meantime, he's in touch with his wife back in England, and the country starts falling apart. There's tsunamis. There is major changes from climate change. So this incredible tension develops between that he's living in a kind of utopia while his wife back home, who discovers she's pregnant, is living in a world that's going asunder. It is so well done, so surprising, will raise interesting questions. I was stunned at how much I love this book. I felt it was really important to tell our listening audience that if somebody thinks, oh, no, this minister is going to subjugate in any way the native population of this distant planet, I don't know that I want to read that. And it's not that way at all. It's a very communal discovery of otherness in each of these groups. And they happen to believe that they learn strange new things in this book that that they can't read. They, they have a, a language that's not even – a recognizable language to us, but there is somebody on the compound that's working to understand the language, so they do learn to communicate with each other. That's why the Enterprise had the universal translator. Exactly, right. yeah. They have that character. <laughs> Babblefish. <laughs> but it's it's so well done that um, I just encourage everybody to give it a, a look. Okay. So do we have some other books for young people that uh, you would suggest? We do. There's a whole list well, of I know. novels, of course, that are I really, really like. And I would like to mention The Glass Sentence, which is a part of – Say the, that again. It's a book called The Glass Sentence. OK. And it's a part of the, the Mapmakers trilogy. And one of the interesting things about this fantasy for I'd say you know 10 to 14-year-old kids is – the fact that it's a world that they have maps made out of different things and there's maps made out of glass and maps made out of clay and all these different things. And if you combine these maps together, you get this virtual reality, which is – it's a great idea and it very well realized in this book. So that one's very interesting. And of course, there are tons and tons of books. There's also a whole bunch of graphic novels that are coming out now that are very interesting for younger kids that don't have superheroes. They're not about um, people oddly proportioned or sometimes they're all just bunny rabbits like this one. El Defo is um, actually a biography kind of written by a woman who was deaf. and C.C. Bell. Yes. 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 Yeah. And she, these books, they're also publishing them originally in paperback in full color. That's the original version. This is the original version. This is what's on the shelf. And yeah. it's, it makes it very affordable and really fun to read and they're kind of glossy and nice. And this one has been kid tested and approved by 8 and 12-year-olds. So <laughs> I think they really like it quite a bit. Some 8 and 12-year-olds that you know quite well. Yes. yes. And they, yes. They, they liked it a lot. So Good. I can recommend that one. And there's – Okay, I would really like people to go to the website so they can see all the kid books that we're recommending. Let's we mention the website uh, acronym again: CopperfieldsBooks.com. That's yes. CopperfieldsBooks, no apostrophe. dot com. Of course, there's lots and lots of picture books for kids. Yes. And one of them I wanted to show you is they've made a compilation of all the This Is books by um, Sazak, I think his name is. There was This Is San Francisco. Is that the Esburn books? 
This is no. These are books that are like um, the no, ones. Oh, it's Universe Press. Yes. Oh, yes. This, they're the ones that have pictures. This one. This is oh, San Francisco. That's an old yes. like fifties, yeah. sixties books that were out say. when we were kids. Yeah. What I one of the things I liked about this is it's very retro and nostalgic for those of us who had yes. the books originally. Yes. It puts them all together in a way. It makes San Francisco, which is such an accessible city for us. Uh huh. As wonderful as London, and you can kind of see. I'm hoping kids that will look at it and say, "Oh, I can go to San Francisco. Maybe, maybe I'll go to London." You know, and these, this, the things I'm seeing here, Trafalgar Square, or is it's like the Golden Gate Bridge, and these are monuments that may mean, mean something to them. Mm-hmm. So, and it's also wonderfully visually appealing. Say that title again. It's called "This Is the World: A Global by... Treasury" by M. Sezak. Say, can you spell it? S a s e k. S a s e k. Okay. Yeah. And should I talk more? One more. About, sure. One more. Okay. I brought "Draw," which ah, is a yes. book, a very special book, gift book, um, not gift book, picture book. About a kid sitting in his room reading a book about Africa and then drawing pictures and falling into the pictures and and coming back out at the end. And it's just a simple story, but it's very Well, special. maybe he's there. I thought he was in his room when he's Well, there. I mean, you are both places, right? You know, right. And in, that's the wonderful world of imagination. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. right. And it's a beautiful book. It is by, uh, let me see his, his name, Raul Colon. Yes. And the illustrations... It's actually See, now, this book. is this is an evo- this looks like books of earlier age too. Oh well, there's a lot of uh, wow borrowing. It's, you know, there's almost a, a, a curious George feel to well, it. Well, it's got monkeys. Yeah, yeah. I assume. Well, but this and it is wordless, so if you can uh, maybe explore the yellow, the, the yellow uh, hats, the yellow hat, that, yeah. and maybe he did that on purpose. You know, nothing's there by accident. Yeah. A wordless book. Oh, one of those. Are, see, those are so fun because they work with anybody. They work with anybody, and yeah. you can you ha- use your imagination. Right. So these books are all – oh, there's one I didn't bring. Um, there's another gift book for kids called Before and After that's also wordless, but it, it's very strange with pictures of, you know, a, a tree and then a pencil or, you know, this kind of like what was before and what was after. And it's, I think, a book that a parent would give to – their kid or read with their kid to to spark conversations mostly it's mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. or adults would just enjoy the visual aspects of it you are listening to our 2014 holiday gift books edition of word by word conversations with writers on north bay public media krcb fm once again we are pleased to welcome the book buyers from the local copperfields bookstore shell clotler and michelle bella who likes to be called bella with their always challenging task of choosing which books to talk about with only an hour to do it. They have a half hour left, so stay tuned. We are doubly pleased this year because Cheryl served as one of the judges of the 2014 National Book Award for Fiction and shared with us an insider speak at the process in the panel's final selection, Philip Clay's novel, Redeployment. So in addition to novels, you have some biographies and, and nonfiction you were I do, with us and you know, it's funny when you said it's people love to be read to. I'm going to jump to a nonfiction book because Belle and I, before we came, were reading to each other from these two books that have a, a kind of quirkiness that goes together. Mm-hmm. So mine is called What If? Seriously Scientific Answers to Absurdly Hypothetical Questions by Randall Monroe. And I have to tell you, this book is already selling very well because it's so fascinating. Every time I tried to find some part to talk about, I would run over to Bella's office and say, listen to this. 
And that's what so you're So what gonna, did you pick? Well, what would happen if you set off a nuclear bomb in the eye of a hurricane? Would the storm cell be immediately vaporized? And so there's a question from the public, and they tell you who submitted it, and then the scientists answer it. And I have to just jump to the end of this paragraph on this page to say that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration gets this question a lot. They've written a whole paper about it, and the last sentence is, needless to say, this is not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Okay. Another question. Well, yes, but um, as I recall... There are some science fiction stories, I'm trying to remember which one it is, where that is exactly what happens, is there's this tremendous storm that's going to destroy the Earth, and they decide the way to get rid of it is to detonate a nuclear bomb in the middle of it. And well, say, send the plane in, you know, the, the right, one that right, jiggles. Right, 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 right. I'm going to tantalize you okay. and our readers by saying there is a response to that question, but you have to buy the book. <laughs> And sit around with your family and play with it and read it. So, another one. See, I can see some variables in that question. What size of a nuclear device? What size of a hurricane? You, there's stuff like that. What if it's on Jupiter and you want to mess the atmosphere up there? Stuff like that. Or that uh, red spot on, Mm -hmm. you know, the side Mm -hmm. that's changing finally. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. There you go. Okay. All right. So, the one that I was running into her office and telling her about is. Lost in translation, an illustrated <laughs> compendium of untranslatable words from around the world. Untranslatable. So it's like wabi-sabi. doesn't mean just like one thing. But no. We're familiar with that things. word because people use it around here. The one I got me was kummerspeck, which apparently is German and mean, literally means grief bacon. The word refers to the excess weight we gain from emotional overeating. Ah, ah. But, uh, grief bacon, really. Then there's Goya. Is that true when you start uh, college, too, and you end up yeah. with extra weight? Cause well, that's that. probably I'm a different sure word. Yeah, probably Slightly different. different. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not, well, anxiety bacon. You know? <laughs> uh, Goya means a transporting suspension of disbelief and as if that feels like reality, such as in good storytelling. Is this What's a, the language? These, that's Urdu. I was going to say, obviously, words. Goya, the artist, no, is not. No, 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 no. no. Not that. So you tell, it just is... Makes me think. Every single page has something that's like, oh, that's interesting. So, yes, there, And yes. there's actually a lexicon of untranslatable words, which is a huge, really expensive, I wonder if they have any Cretan words. Because Cretan words are different than Greek words, by the way, we found out. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. and yeah. so there, there is scholarly work on, on the subject, but this is accessible and, and entertaining on a very easy on level. On all kinds of different levels. Yeah. You, you have another word book that you handed over to me. It's called 101... Two-letter words. Now, I originally thought this would be great if you did Boggle, but I realized that two-letter words don't count in uh, Boggle. Uh, what this works is Scrabble. Scrabble. These are the Scrabble words. Scrabble words. words. Yeah. Well, yeah, for that, it's that one where you need to get to the 10 points or three extra points. Yeah, right. But however, you can you know match them all up together. So, the, like, woo is now, the one this that is an interesting one because low is the book. It happens to be the word I opened okay. up to. And I was writing something about a couple of weeks ago, and I used the word low, not as in low and behold, but just as low there, you know, is something. Mm-hmm. And my wife read it and said, I don't think you can use it that way. But – Well, you can use it in Scrabble, right? Well – So you can use it in language, right? Yeah, if it's in the, in the dictionary, you can use it Some Scrabble. of them are a little um, odd. Things like I think MM together is considered a word. So it's a little arbitrary. Like, what, Mickey Mouse? What is mm. Mm. Oh, mm. I thought that was three Ms. No, no. Well, I got it as two. So. There it is. Oh, the, so- the when you sing it while humming, into your kazoo. Mm-hmm. Mm. There you go. 
Okay. Also I would illustrated have... by, is it Roz Chast? Yeah. Uh, Roz Chast illustrated. Stephen Merritt wrote it. So it's good. A little it's two, two Two letter words at a time. It's all in two letter words. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> fun. Fun. Words are fun. Yes. 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 We love words. Right. Okay. So let's do one more. My Favorite Things by Mara Kelman. This has an illustration. I have to describe this. It's a painting, I think. Don't you? Yes. 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 Of two men on a beach in a dapper outfits of the time. They uh, do not fit being on the beach. The shoes are completely wrong. They're leather. The uh, the uh, jackets they're wearing are the old English turn of the century sort of beach sort of, jackets. Yeah, yeah, beach jackets made out of you know uh, seersucker. That's the stuff. Yeah. And they have, of course. Uh, British hats on their head, although they could be French hats. I'm not sure because one of them looks sort of French. He has a mustache. Let's see what we find out here. My favorite things. Well, she was asked by the Cooper Hewitt uh, people in the museum in New York to look at their exhibit, their everything they owned, ah. and come up with an exhibition based on things that she just loved. And so that was the spark for this particular book. And it also includes her wow. personal stuff How and fun. some of their stuff. And she's just such an interesting um, illustrator and painter and artist. How really, really interesting. It is. It's, it's uh, quirky, you know, again, but it also, she works in gouache. And that's why her, her look is very distinctive. Nobody else looks wow. just Wow. I mean, like that her. looks like a silver spoon. I think really that actually does. is yeah. a photograph of a spoon. No, I don't think <laughs> so. You don't think so? I know. Look at the next page. Because some of them are photographs of the that's actual not a objects. That's a painting. You think that's Well, a the glass. Okay, see the yeah. glass. Yeah. See, that's so hard to paint. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. It is. Huh. But it, anyway, wow. the juxtaposition How of fun. stuff and... Everything she's done in the past has been very interesting. I really like her work very much, so I recommend people pick that up. I'm going to suggest going to museums over the Christmas break for it to anyone and, and look at them with a different eye. Don't always go when you don't always go to the Egypt section if you've always gone to that section. Don't always go to the Knights in Armor if you've always gone there. I'm talking about people with kids, of course. Right. Do see the Disney Museum in San Francisco. You can spend. That's great. All day there. Yes. And I'm saying this because we went, when we were traveling, we went to the American University of Bath. And when we were there, people were had sketch pads, and they were had given, given the same task. Mm-hmm. Go find one thing to draw in this museum. And it's four stories in, a, in an old, you know, a manor house in the countryside with wonderful gardens. And it, everyone was looking at things in an entirely different way. Right. I don't yeah. know if you draw, but if you draw, you do have to look at things in a way you don't – you don't just glance over the top of them. Well, even you if you only take an eye photo, but you can do it with a different thought yeah. when you mm-hmm. – you know, not just go and take pictures in a room or this or this right. is the whole thing, but right. just some yeah. – in one nice. individual thing right. in that whole right. museum. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, fun. Museum Wonderful story. things to do. Okay, so what else? We have how many minutes left here? Not that many. About, yeah, okay. Uh-oh. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about The Birds of Pandemonium <laughs> by Michelle Rafin. Okay. And Michelle's bird sanctuary is in her home in Los Gatos. And Belle and I were lucky enough to be able to actually go <laughs> Did there. Did you get to go? Yes. Oh, how fun. I saw, I saw an article about it in the newspaper. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is not normally open to the public. And the reason is 
that Michelle fell in love with birds some time ago and began to help with wounded birds. But one thing led to another, and she ended up with some of the world's rarest birds. And therefore, her site has now turned into a not only a refuge, but a breeding site. And uh, the birds have to be kept calm and very well cared for. So it's not generally something you get to go see. But this book is a story of how she got started caring for this birds, about the world of the rarest birds and people that are trying to breed them and bring them back from extinction. And it's also very funny. I was reading it aloud to Bella in the car, and we were just laughing because Michelle has such a great wit about the disasters that have happened and the the learning curve and how difficult it was. And then when we got there, it was stunning to stand in front of these wonderful aviaries and look at things like the crowned Victoria, the Victoria crowned pigeon, of which there's only something like 2,300 left in the world. This pigeon is the size of a um, wild turkey with this incredible feathered headdress. They're native to New Guinea. But the uh, deforestation there has caused most of their their uh, um, habitat habitat to disappear, and she's got several breeding pairs. It was just stunning to look at these birds. She has a couple of rare cranes. She has some amazing now, how parrots. Does, how does she have these birds come to her in Los Gatos? Did it's, they just arrive on the doorstep? In no, the no. Um, the first couple of times they were injured birds, and as she became involved, and also joined this society for caring for these kind of birds. She she writes um, for this particular journal. So other people around the country that are around the world, really, that are trying to care for these birds, they talk to each other mm-hmm. because these birds are out of their habitat. So do they need warm and moist air? What will they eat? They have to share with each other. There's not enough scientific research, and they're actually doing that by their notes. They're creating research. So as time went on, people would say, well, you know what? I actually no longer can care for this bird. Will you take it? And she says there are some nefarious people out there that try and sell her rare birds, and there's ways that she and her community circumvent that. Um, that's too long to go into. Again, read the book. <laughs> but um, I'd love to leave you hanging. Right. But it's, it's full of incredible of illustrations, and it's a charming and wonderful and very moving story. The Birds of Pandemonium by The Life Among the Exotic and the Endangered by Michelle Rafen. And Pandemonium is the name of her aviary. Which is, I must be bigger than the one we usually think of, a backyard it's, four by eight foot thing. It's like a, it's like a half room. acre yeah. or it's, nah. it's, it's pretty big. Yeah. Yes. Now, she have them uh, obviously must be moist and, and dry and whatever it's needed for the birds. Right? Some birds have to have um, sprays of moisture. Mists. Some birds yeah. need a drier. You know, she has to make the habitats for each type. Be as close as possible to what is how they can you know survive and thrive, and also make it very safe for them and calm so that they can breed. Mm. And that takes a lot of. Um, I think she has a lot of distance. A lot of people come and help. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, and things like baby chicks of a rare bird that the, they lay an egg and then they don't care for it properly. Mm-hmm. You hear this about this in zoos, and so they have to learn what to f- drop or feed the babies and. Some of them don't make it, and some of them do, and it's an amazing success when they do. And wow. 
It's really a great story. And this would make a wonderful gift. You've both got a very charming, heartwarming memoir as well as a book that you would want to give to a person that is interested in what people are doing or some individuals are doing to save the planet, make mm-hmm. a difference. Mm-hmm. And for the birders out there. And the birders, yeah. absolutely. Right. Right. It's illustrated. Okay, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe just just jumped out at me, so you yeah. have to look at that. Now the re- I'm glad you picked this because this is actually the story of the um, enterprise of – uh, the Lucasfilm organization. Mm-hmm. It's really Which the story. Which is close enough that we probably know someone who worked there. Yes, exactly. Yes. So it really is how George Lucas came up with this film idea, made a empire of filming with his movies and all the people I he read a book by were... uh, Campbell. That was, that's where he got the idea. Yeah? Joseph yeah, yeah, Joseph Campbell, the hero yeah. with a thousand faces. Yeah. yeah. So, but that may be apocryphal. I don't know. Yeah. So any well, read the book. <laughs> you keep giving me these lines. I, know, I keep falling I know, right into them. I know. So it's it's not what I thought. I thought it was going to be the everything that we saw in Star Wars that we now you know having around our home or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. plus I worry when people hear the title, they're going to think about that crazy idea that somebody came up with. Wink, wink. About a, a, a oh, having a, having a. a, a uh, military stuff. Military. Uh, oh, that's defense. Wars. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that ages us when we say things like that. Right, right. That's You've true. got Maeve Benchy's new yes. book. Oh, this is wonderful. And here's the thing this was published after she's passed away. It's posthumous. Mm-hmm. It is. Last book, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And it's a series of her columns that she wrote over years and years and years in the Irish Times. Huh. And honestly, because, you know, she's pretty much of a heartwarming type of writer, I had no idea how saucy and hilarious and pointed these articles would be until I started reading them. Well, there's always a little twist in her. Yeah. You know, something's happened behind the whatever. So, yeah. 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 So they're um, nonfiction columns just observing mostly the Irish world and politics and her neighborhood and but it's it's a wonderful read it's just charming and inviting as all get out it gets you to travel to another place in time yes. without leaving your chair absolutely yeah. it is called Maeve Binchi, Maeve's Times Maeve's Times in her own words yeah. wow yeah Wonderful. What a nice combination of ingredients you brought here today. Here's a good book for the guys in your okay. life, although I have to tell you I'm a sports fan and okay. I actually found Well, this, this is that Al Michaels. Yes, yes. You're right. So this book is by Al Michaels. It's called You Can't Make This Up, <laughs> subtitled Miracles, Memories, and the Perfect Marriage of Sports and Television. So this is the man you know from Monday Night Football mm-hmm. and um, the Either Olympics. Either love or hate, right. And it is, you know, in a funny way, it's almost like what I just said about Maeve's columns in her writings. These are his observations of all the various uh, sporting events he got involved with, but also the people on the air and behind the air and the almost – bloopers and the just barely gotten done in time uh, announcements of this, that, or the other thing, including the incredible story of the hockey team in the, I think it was the 1980 Olympics Mm -hmm. that he was narrating Mm -hmm. when we won. That's what I think most people remember seeing him first. Yes, and he shouted out, do you believe in miracles? Yeah, the miracle team. It is um, really a great bunch of stories of his life. Wow, yeah. 
Okay, what else for uh, is on your list, uh, the, Bella? One I wanted to make sure that we we mention here okay. is the Big Book of Maker Skills. Ah, which you, is let me let me give you an okay. interesting thing. I don't know. I'm going to have to see the book because I, I want to look at it and see if it has some of the stuff that I had when I was a kid that my dad bought me from. This is Popular Mechanics, right? It's the same type of thing. I don't know that it, it no, is. No, I thought actual. it had something to do with Popular Mechanics. I don't know. That it actually oh the editors of Popular Science Popular Science Popular Science we we got both the whole electronic yes thing is, and it tells you how to actually make these things. yeah it is yeah. like how to use a blowtorch right and so not Which, for little kids apparently you're not supposed to use that because a workman's torch is what seems to cause all these fires that you read about in the paper <laughs> all you know, kinds in the of construction uh, Have you seen that. Read about them. You know, when ah. some building burns up that's not finished, uh-huh. it's a workman's torch. Uh-huh. Almost Marlo. every time. Yeah. But wow. this is something you do need to see because it, it does – it is like – You didn't bring how, it. I didn't bring it. Darn. I, I, didn't, I was wanted to I'm see sorry. that. Yeah. Next she was only going to bring um, a few of those 10-pound books. Yeah. That's right. And it's, but it's, it's interesting. It really is. It's like, you know, how, how to solder, you know. And see this this scar here? Yeah, soldering. Yeah, that was from yeah. soldering. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I just wanted to mention that one because it's totally – Fun and different, not the kind of thing you see. I probably should have read that book before I started soldering. Yes. Well, (laughs) if you'd had it, you could have solved all your problems. I suppose you can go do videos too, but this is a nice reference. Picture books are pretty hard to talk about, uh, but I know all of your listeners come into the bookstore, so that's going to be pretty easy for them. So. Yes, and we're in different parts of the bookstore, so I want to let's talk about how the bookstores are arranged. You want to, which one? They're all different. They're all different. Yes. They're let's, all different, except that we um, try and have fiction near the front. Okay. And new. Um, Usually new and local new, writers towards the front. Yes, but also new nonfiction, which is roughly current events in politics, um, history, and biography. And then all of the stores, of course, have the dedicated children's sections mm-hmm. that are kind of their own little world in their um, beautiful liveliness and the way that the shelving works and little tiny chairs and so forth or stools. Um, so that's your yeah. thumbnail. Some stores are much larger than others, but they all have all the elements, the, the basics. But mm-hmm. I'm visualizing in my head and going to different yeah, stores. Yeah. The other thing we see as we come in is the the window displays are always – don't oh. take time to stop and look at them. Yes. I, I, I keep forgetting to do that in Petaluma for some reason. You know, I've either uh, parked somewhere or just head right in the door or something and yes. do not – downtown Sebastopol, I look at the windows all the time. Yes, so, you know, yes. it's just because I'm walking by. You so know, take time. The truth of the matter is yeah. Belle and I stop and when we're about to go into one of our stores to talk to somebody and just look around. We always stop and look at the windows too because they're changed mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. and we find them really And they're thematic. Inventive. Yeah. Yeah. And they, yeah. for instance, this time of year, they often will, you know, have books, many of which we're talking about today. Uh, there is there a kind of a collection of suggested books together in the stores? Yes. Yes. We just happen to pick up these wonderful Little broadsides that are handed out in the stores is called Copper Copperfields Holiday Picks, and they're divided by fiction, nonfiction, gift books, children's books, uh, biographies, et cetera, et cetera. Cookbooks. Cookbooks. Yes, yeah. we have about six. Yeah, the kid books actually aren't on the list. Like oh, this. they aren't on the list. They aren't on the list, but they're, they're individual. They're in, they're, the when you get to the kids' displays. section, they have yeah. displays. Yeah. yeah. Also, each of our holiday pick books has a card that hangs right off the shelf. 
under the actual book all through the store that says, this is a holiday pick. Mm. So that's another way ah, to find them. Fun. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Did you get are they your holiday picks most often or not? Um, or yeah, I do. I do yeah. the yeah the two yeah. buyers. We do the holiday picks. Okay. Yes. Good. Good. Yes. Now uh, one other thing. Since uh, in addition to books, I have to go here. You have other things in the bookstores as well. Oh yes. Yes. Sidelines. Sidelines. Yes. Thank you for mentioning that. Bella was. Picking up some wonderful bells that you – what are those, oh, bicycle, bicycle bells? Bicycle bells and bicycle lights that are LED now and all kinds of odd things that we have like in the sports section. It's a wonderful add-on. You know? right. And gelt. We have gelt. Really? Yes, and it's not made in China. <laughs> so – you know, that's good. I mean, you know what? Gelt is chocolate candy. Yes, that you yeah. wrapped right. in foil. Yes. Yeah. And we have incredibly colorful socks. And by the way, one of my favorite things is candles. And I must say that I'm one of the best customers of our wonderful taper candles yeah, those are because great. they're wonderful and in the color Dripless. range is incredible. So. The other thing in that well, we go into the store for is to find really different and unusual uh, holiday cards, oh, Christmas yes. cards, uh, yes. uh, New Year's cards, whatever celebration. I don't know if you've got yes. Fonza, I assume too. Yes. So um, they are not your Hallmark type of card, Absolutely. which is not a bad thing. I mean, yeah. you know, and Hallmark yeah. makes nice cards, but this is does not look like that. Each one is distinctive. Yes. By the artist, by the whoever put them together, by the company that makes them. And I don't know who selects your cards, but they are. The sidelines buyers select the They are a cards. treasure yeah. in a yeah. little teeny yes. small space. Yeah. 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 Sharon Rompelstein is our sidelines buyer. Rompelman. Thank or you. Or Rompelman. Sorry. <laughs> and Rompelman. Rompelman. And also, I will pitch that I'm one of her good customers for Christmas cards, too. I'm going to have spent about $150 on Christmas cards. Well, I hope you get a discount. Uh, <laughs> Because I like them so much and I love sending Christmas cards right. or holiday yeah. cards. She now, do you, you're doing the, the gift um, certificate uh, cards as well for Copperfields? Yeah, we do. Absolutely. Yes. It sounds like I'm plugging the store. You are. You're doing a great yeah. job. Yes, yes. We have um, a wonderful rewards card program mm-hmm. and um, that's – that's to give people a discount if they shop at our stores. Right. Yes. 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 Gift cards are, you know, what every teenager gets, right? Because yes. you don't know what to give them. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they're, they're, you can do one or both, the mm-hmm. rewards program or the gift cards. Do you do gift wrap this year? We do gift wrap. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Complimentary. Yeah. Which is, I mean, for those of you who don't have a whole bunch of space or those of you who have a bunch of space but don't know where the gift wrap is hidden, that's <laughs> ideal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, you buy it in January, you store it away, and yep. then you can't find it. Because January it's half off. Right. right. And then yeah. You can't that's, find that's, it the following December. We've we got a few minutes left, so I'm going to ask each of you to pick the one book you haven't talked about that you should have. Okay. Um, dun, 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 dun. Mm. Oh, Griel Marcus, The History of Rock and Roll in Ten Songs. I wondered what the ten songs are. Can you tell us? Um, you know, I started to read this at home, and this is another one of those books that's a love affair for the autodidact in, in each of us. <laughs> you just start reading, and the whole story behind these songs is so fascinating. They must have picked the – they've got a list yeah. of the songs, don't they? The songs are Shake Some Action, Transmission, In the Still of the Night, uh-huh. All I could do was cry, crying, waiting, and hoping. Money, that's what I want. (laughs) Um, This magic moment, guitar drag, 
to know him is to love him. <laughs> you get to sing as you as yeah, you mentioned. Yeah, you will. Right. Oh, money to. changes everything. Oh yeah. Um, so he tells you these wonderful stories about who wrote them, who performed them, and how, what impact they had. Cool. It's great. Yeah, I feel like I'm groovy now. Yes. 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 Okay. I'm Bella. All right. Okay. So for for YA or teens, I'll give you the sun is a book that's a kind of what we call um, it's not fantasy. It's contemporary fiction and it's really an interesting book and it's like the best book i think for teenagers are, that are actually like 14 and over that and it feels like it's really the written title here. again it's called i'll give you the sun about twins where i they, thought you were just telling me that i'll give I'll you give the you sun, the sun. Yeah. if you give me the mountains i'll give you the sun it's like this <laughs> trade-off these twins have about giving parsing up the whole world uh-huh. but but the other one, the one I really realized I wanted to mention was The Accidental Highwayman. Because this book, it's for teens, but it, you could be 11 and still enjoy this book. It's very much in, written in the tone of The Princess Bride. And, oh. it's, and this is the highwayman who, who stops the royal coach that's right, going through the right. forest. Yes. yes, I know. Some people don't know what the word highwayman means. Well, that's means, why I said but, that. Yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> it's, being, the guy, it's the guy in the orange vest. with. No, you know, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is being the tale of Kit Bristol, his horse Midnight, a mysterious princess, and sundry magical persons besides. It's by Trip um, Ben Tripp. It's very funny, very witty, a little droll, and yet it's still a kid book. So, I mean, you could read it as an adult for no problem. So that's For my no last problem. One. I yeah. like that. <laughs> we are glad you have shared the last hour with us for the 2014 Holiday Gift Books edition of Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media KRCB FM. Once again, we've been pleased to welcome the book buyers from the local Copperfields bookstores, Cheryl and Michelle, or Cheryl Cotler and Michelle Bella. Or Bella and Cotelur. <laughs> there you go. With their always challenging task of choosing which books to talk about with only an hour to do so. Other, we have talked about a number of books. In fact, those of you who did not keep notes at home, we are pleased to say that the books are going to be available on the handouts, uh, the little broadsides that are available in the Copperfields Holiday Books in the store. They are available online at copperfieldsbooks.com. And also, if you would like to listen to this broadcast again and share it with your friends, you can hear it on radio.krcb.org.rss. That's radio.krcb.org.rss. I'm your Santa Claus of host, Gil Manser, who, with my wizard of a studio engineer, Jesse Fancushin, theme music composer, Bill Conti, and KRCB radio elves, Wendy Nicholson and Sean Knight, want to wish you the most joyous of holiday cheer. Our next word-by-word show will be broadcast from 4 to 5 in the the second Sunday in January. So let me be first to wish you a Happy New Year!